0: Hello to everybody who remembers MS-DOS. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred.
1: I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you. And you'll get to know me.
0: Hi, everybody. It's Chris Gethard. Welcome to Beautiful Anonymous. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Thank you guys so much. I asked you a few weeks ago, I said, you know, every podcast's numbers are suffering, it affects all of us as far as this being a, a job, and, and uh, if you're listening and you're one of these grazers, so to speak, that if you could hit resubscribe, it would really help so many of you, but I so kind of letting me know you've done that, and it uh, really means the world, really means the world, that people care enough about this show to say, all right, if that helps, so people on Apple subscribing, following on Spotify, whatever you do, wherever you listen, people are making that effort. It means a lot. This call, okay, really interesting one. There's a few things you guys need to know going into it. One, it's a really, really weird situation. A tropical storm hit New Jersey a few weeks back. My house was running off a generator because I moved to the country. Here's the problem. I'm me. And if you've been listening to this show for more than eight minutes, you know I don't know how to work a generator. I changed the oil on my generator the morning of the call and I broke the generator and my power went down and I was filled with guilt and panic. So the first 15 minutes of this call is on on one day and then two weeks later, we picked up with the final 45 minutes of the call, actually more than that. I extended the call a little bit because of that situation and it's really fascinating. I mentioned this during the call, but those first 15 minutes are just like every other call in that you feel us feeling each other out, figuring out what the conversation's gonna be. And then when we get back on the phone, it's it's a situation that's never happened in the history of the show, where the caller had two weeks to go, I have 45 minutes left, what do I really wanna do with it? Came in swinging, had some things that needed to be said and decided to say them, it was cool. Overall umbrella, what I would say is it deals with autism. And I learned a lot, not just about autism, but there were a lot of things I thought I knew I realized I was wrong. And that's one of my favorite things as far as hosting this show is when I get to learn a little bit more about how things are really working out there for actual people. So I hope you enjoy it. I found it fascinating. Sorry about the technical hiccup. If it's bugging you, just know if you skip a little further in, uh, it, it picks up and there's a whole lot of meat on the bones of this call. Enjoy it.
1: Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. How you doing? I am... I'm good. Wow. Oh my goodness. This is actually happening. How are you?
0: Uh, okay. How am I? It's an interesting question. Overall, I'm good. Overall, I have a blessed <sighs> life. I have, I have a lucky life and... I've set out uh, and uh, and to do a bunch of things that I've accomplished and I have a beautiful family. That being said, a tropical storm hit my neighborhood and I moved out here oh goodness. to the goddamn country. This storm lasted about 20 minutes. <laughs> my power's been down for 4 days. It's not getting turned back on for another 4. I got a gas generator. I I had to change the oil myself. You probably hear it in the background. For four days, it
1: sounded. Like I don't a, hear it in
0: the background. A, yeah, you're so lucky because I felt like for 96 straight <laughs> hours I've been listening to someone mow the lawn. <laughs> so I'm. I, 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 oh,
1: I'm not laughing. I'm laughing in a in a um. I laugh when I'm nervous and I'm awkward. So uh, that's why I'm laughing. But uh, no, that's yeah. You you're in you're in Jersey, right?
0: I am. I have moved back to Jersey, where I belong, where I I I can feel. You know, every time I step foot in New Jersey, I feel my strength returning. And I do also want to be clear. I am aware that if my, my biggest problem is that I don't have power reaching my uh, new house that I'm excited about and I'm lucky enough to live in, that I have a very good life.
1: I completely get it. I'm uh, I'm in the northeastern area of the country. So I, I know what storm you're talking about and also lost power for a couple of days, but um, you know. I also realize I'm very lucky to have a roof over my head and to, you know, there's this year's just been a shitstorm. It's, it's
0: when I'm out there, okay.
1: <laughs> I'm just going to say
0: this too. Apparently, the power goes down a lot in this area. So, a lot of the houses have these generators that kick in automatically. You never even need to touch them. I got one of these gasoline okay. ones that you have to drag out of your garage. And what I've realized. I'm like, that's fine. I don't need to, those those other ones are like way too expensive. I can't afford one right now. I just bought the house, spent all the money uh-huh. on the house. That being said, every time I got to drag this thing out of the garage, it is by definition because there's hurricane winds. That's why the power lines are going down. Yep. Trees are falling. Wind's powerful enough to fell trees. And I got to get out there in this horizontal rain. And, and its I'm not even complaining about that because I'm lucky. I just bring it up because I think anyone who's listened to this show for a while can think of the, the image of me having to do that. I'm sure people are just like, oh, no. Oh, no. That, that's not that guy. No.
1: I'm trying to picture it right now, just like- Oh my God. With like what little hair you have,
0: with all due respect, like hey, <laughs>
1: pulling out Listen, we can the find it. <laughs> yeah, and
0: then here's the worst part, right? It, it gives you eight hours at a time. You want an image? You want a sad image in your head? Imagine me, because it's eight hours at a time. So imagine me at 1130 at night, going out there to refill it with gasoline with a headlamp on my head, with a strapped on headlamp on my head. It's like, this, I, I, as I'm doing it, I'm aware, I'm like, well, this is so comical and sad, just extending my life of being like a living version of Charlie Brown.
1: <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. I hope that, uh, you know, none of the trees in your area turn into a Charlie Brown Christmas tree, like uh, the one outside my window.
0: Oh boy. Oh boy. Now I've talked about myself enough. <laughs> What's up? What's up with you? What are we talking about today?
1: What are we talking about? All right. Let's see. I have a lot of things I could talk about, but we only have like, you know, 58 ish minutes left. 56. Um, 56. All right. All right. So it was four minutes of you talking about a generator. Great.
0: I apologize. Um, I so apologize. That's a nightmare and I It's
1: apologize. okay. It's okay. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It's actually, I'm just still in shock right now. Um, so yeah. Um, so I'm a special education teacher and with covid and everything i'm just diving right in here bear with me this is posted and everything people are just gonna have to hear me rambling um so i'm a special education teacher and uh i'm working in the summer right now with students that are really young like preschoolers Mm -hmm. and it's been really challenging and i'm very concerned for the reopening of schools and stuff, especially with COVID blooming and stuff. Not blooming. That's a really wrong word to use. <laughs> blossom,
0: um, blossom, beautifully blossoming. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. COVID, really beautiful. Um no,
0: inflicting its nightmare. But yeah.
1: Um. Yeah, it's just been um very stressful so far, and um, I'm actually I'm autistic myself, mm-hmm. um, so like I have my own challenges with um you know, everything. Um, <laughs> but uh, working with these students and things that, that are expected of them during this time is is really, really challenging.
0: Yeah, I, I, I bet. Um, I mean, there's so much to talk about, right? Um, I, I think one thing that jumps out that I'd love to know. So are you, are you working with students who are autistic as well?
1: I am, yes. Yeah, primarily the students that I support are autistic. That's yep. a
0: that's a really beautiful thing for you to choose to do. And I have to imagine um, that for kids who feel different in any way to have a teacher and a role model who represents them and understands their experience, it it must mean the world to these kids.
1: I I hope so. I don't I honestly I didn't I didn't learn that I was autistic until I actually started teaching. Oh wow! Um, I, yeah, I had grown up like always feeling like, you know, like the odd, not, I was never like ostracized or anything like that, but I always felt like I didn't understand, like I didn't pick up on things that everybody else was picking up on. But, um, one of the things about autism is, um, I'm, I'm a woman, I, I identify with like, you know, she, her, you know, pronouns and everything. And the traits in girls are often very different than the traits. That, pre- that are typically presented in boys. And um, so I really had no idea. My whole life, I just thought I was quirky and just a little bit different than everybody else. But it was actually working with the students my first year, in my first couple years, and uh, learning like, oh, wow, I relate to them so much. And then I sought out a diagnosis, and voila, everything kind of came together.
0: That is an incredible story. That's That's... So you became a special education teacher because it was something you were passionate about. You wanted to study, decided to go for it. Mm-hmm. And in the course of it, your students actually taught you about your own diagnosis. that That's a story I've, I don't think I've ever heard.
1: Yeah, that's literally what happened. I, I just, because some of the traditional special education practices, they expect certain things of students or they teach you, certain ways to interact with students based on their behavior and this and that. And, um, a lot of that is, you know, determined by, I don't know if you're familiar with the term neurotypical, um, educators. And I just never jived with it. I was like, I don't feel right doing this. Like this kid's having like a meltdown right now. They're not being behavioral. Like why are we trying to like bribe them with like a, with like a candy, like a piece of candy, like M and M, to make them stop crying. Like, why aren't we addressing their actual need right now for love and affection and just like, you know, to be treated like a human and not like a dog? Um, <laughs> and you know, but yeah, I just I I've, I've, that was a tangent. Um, I've learned so much from them, and um, even now that I know I'm autistic, I I do know I I can I don't uh, I continue to learn. So much from them every single day and I wish I could like personally thank each and every one of them but uh also I can't because my nobody that I really work with besides one of my best friends who I work with um knows that I am autistic oh. I haven't come out wow
0: so you haven't you haven't been in a situation where you've been able to you know where if a child's struggling you're not at a point of comfort yet where you're you can lean in and say hey actually actually this is something we share so i get it and i'm with you you haven't you haven't had those conversations yet
1: no and also a lot of our students they don't know themselves that they uh, i mean i know I'm, I'm i assume that they know that they are different you know i mean when i say different everybody's different but um yeah. a, lo- a lot of them are nonverbal or not yet speaking pre-verbal some of us like to call it but um yeah we don't it's not my place to tell them to let them know what it means to be autistic or that they are it's, it's really that up to their families and unfortunately a lot of families don't view autism as something that is you know like a natural difference they see it as something that needs to be cured um, which is very unfortunate but you know what? That's, I'm not in the position to say you shouldn't view it this way. Like you should view it as a difference in neurology. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's tricky.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And and I think you said you were working with preschool aged kids. Yes. So real young. I olds.
1: am. I'm with three, four and five year olds. Yeah. The littlest wow. ones. I'm like their first, their first teacher <laughs> the introduction to, you know, the public school system. That's that's my role is to just try to make it try to make it better for them because honestly, the public school system, in my opinion, really does a disservice to students who are not neurotypical. And when also, um, a lot of the students that I work with are come from like uh, their families, their people of color. There, um, a lot of them are from Indian families. I don't know much about Indian culture because I know there's different cultures within the community i mean the community you know um that's not the right word sorry sometimes i am not good with my words um you know that's autism here um but the way that they view autism often is not the way that i view it and that's not just indian families either that's you know white families and like white american families and stuff and i wish you could just edit this whole part out no. I'm not saying what I want to say the way I want to say it. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. You're doing great, um, and I understand. I understand what you mean.
1: You know what I mean. Like it's just there's cultural differences. Well, I think, um, but also, even within. Sorry, no. You go. Actually, you go. Please.
0: <laughs> I mean, what I'm taking away is, you know, I, th- I think for a lot of families, it's a scary thing for your kid to be diagnosed with with anything. And when you get mm-hmm. into the realm of something like autism, I think for, for many, many years, it's been misunderstood or misperceived. I feel like within my lifetime, I remember as a kid, that word feeling like, um, you know, almost, almost like synonymous with other types of, would you say neuroatypicality? Would that be the phrase?
1: Neurotypes. Um, Are you there? Hello? Oh no, did I lose you?
0: And that is the perfect time for our first break because guess what? We took a two-week break right there. I'm not a mechanical person. I tried to fix the generator. It took a whole day. I finally called a neighbor. He came over and did it in 10 minutes. Okay? We're gonna take a break. We'll pick up two weeks later. Same caller and a lot of fascinating stuff. There's the generator break. Now we're going to get into the call, hit the ground running. No more uh, natural disasters, cutting things off. Hello. Hello. We've never run into that before, where a tropical storm hits in the middle of a call and wipes out not just the connection, but electricity in my neighborhood for five straight days.
1: Wait, so it was five days after that call, like after it ended. Also, sorry, I'm in the car. So if you hear things in the background, let me know and I'll park somewhere.
0: Oh, so far. So wait,
1: five days?
0: Yeah, it was for, I think about four and a half days. I was uh, running back and forth to gas stations, putting gas in a generator. And then, well, we were on the generator in our call. I changed the oil and I did it wrong. It turns out that's what happened is I messed up, and now my driveway's covered in motor oil stains. And I feel guilty. I feel bad. I've I've been sitting around. We talked two weeks ago today, and I've been sitting here racked with Catholic guilt about the fact that our call got cut off, and I'm glad that you're back.
1: Well, thank you for having me back. Don't feel guilt. I I mean, I can't tell you how to feel, but there's nothing to feel guilty about. You can't control the environment and just... There's a lot of shit we can't control. Oh, sorry, Sally. It's okay. I'm <laughs> Of here. course.
0: I get that. And also to our listeners, I know that that leaves a weird, um, there's like a weird moment in the episode you just sat through. But also I, I have found throughout the course of my career that people enjoy watching me sweat through a disaster. So I'm glad you can imagine. You can, Everybody can just imagine when the generator goes down and I'm sitting there going, oh, no, 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 no. So I'm glad you're back and we can move on.
1: I think we were at like a really like an interesting part too when I was talking to you. I think you, you would ask me a question and then I went to answer it and then you like stopped responding and I was like, great. I'm like the first person he's going to hang up on on the show. No,
0: no way. No way. I was gripped. I was gripped. And then unfortunately, Mother Nature said, you shall not talk. If I remember right, <laughs> if I remember right, we left off. You were telling me how you... you teach a lot of uh, kids from uh, different backgrounds and you have a lot of students of uh, Indian backgrounds and how there's just cultural yes. differences in how autism's treated. And that's what we yeah. were talking about.
1: Yeah. Basically I'm here to just like for any of your listeners um, and for you too, but just, just to kind of um, speak about what autism really is is and there's so many misconceptions we would actually ideally need way more than an hour I could talk about this for days um but there's a lot of stigma stigmatization about it and that's very negative and harmful for the autistic community
0: so talk to me what what is it yeah what is it what do you know about it that most people don't
1: actually can I can I um take that question and actually ask you like what do you know so that I can kind of tailor my response so like what you know as somebody who I assume, you know, is not autistic. I know you have mental health stuff. Um but like what do you know about autism?
0: It's I'd love that you flipped the script on that one. Very crafty. I did. Very crafty. Uh see,
1: there you go. Creative, creative. Autistics are creative. Okay. <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> well, let's see, because I mean, here's the thing about you asking me that question is I'm sure I'm going to say some things that are close to on target, and I might put my foot in my mouth and say some of the things that you step in and go, That's a thing that I don't like hearing, stereotypes. So apologies ahead of time.
1: But that's, that's why we're having this. That's why, we're, that's why I'm doing this. So that, yeah.
0: It's really smart. It's a really smart way to do it. Let's see. I know that there is this, the spectrum, as they say, and that there's a wide, um, wide birth of where you land on that spectrum both in and what exactly that means as far as your diagnosis and your level of functioning um, uh-huh. I know that you know one of the things you hear is like you said there are people who are may maybe have difficulty in certain areas but they might be very creative or they might be very good at certain subjects in school Uh, to a degree that's actually like blows most people of their age level or experience level out of the water. Um, Uh I think for a handful of years there, I think there was a very, very common usage of the word Asperger's. I have heard that that's now uh, out of fashion, that it's, it's a thing that People would like to stop having tossed around so often that it's it's doing more harm than good. I'm not exactly sure why, but that is something I've heard. I'll um, tell
1: you, don't worry. But keep going.
0: <laughs> good, good, good. And oh, I I know. Here's one thing I know is that I have patronized two different businesses that make a point of hiring uh, autistic workers. One is uh-huh. this fantastic bookstore called Word in Maplewood, New Jersey, and. <laughs> Uh, if I remember right, Word. Word? Yeah. And and if I remember right, they have, the family that owns it has, I believe, a child who's autistic and they found that there was a lot of stigmatization in the job market and that people didn't realize that autistic people are more than capable of doing the jobs and they need a chance. And uh, those are some things I know. Those are some things I know. I feel like My impression, and I might be wrong about this, is that sometimes you might look at a person and have no sense that they're autistic. There's other times where you might notice some physical effects, or in language, you might pick up on effects that something is like a little off kilter compared to conversations you used to having, and you have to get a little used to that in certain ways. Those are the things that come to mind. Those are the things that come to mind.
1: Well, let me just tell you, like, you actually know a lot more than most of the general public. (laughs) And just thank you for, you know, being honest and just answering with, like, what you know and what you've heard and and all that jazz. So where do I start? Here we go. I actually made a list, because I'm out driving, because I didn't feel like being at home today, because I live with my parents still. So, like, I made a list of, like, talking points, which is a very big um that's an,
0: not a good thing to do. I'm being told that the quality is not awful, but if you could pull over, it might help a little bit. So just if you find a safe okay. spot. Okay, I am pulled over.
1: Now I just have to figure out good. in my car how do I switch from... Wait, can you hear me on my phone now? Oh, baby, that's better. Like I. It's okay, a... great. I did pull over. I pulled over to an abandoned um, old Blockbuster. So.
0: Amazing. Amazing yeah. imagery <laughs> and the sound quality is like 100 times better. So maybe okay, finally, that long All last, right. this call will no longer be plagued by technical difficulties.
1: Let's hope so. Um, yeah, so I was talking to a friend of mine who's also autistic and um, lives on the opposite coast from me. I did tell her that I was going to be part of this. So, um, But I, I asked them, I was like, what should I talk about? Because I want to really just, you know, talk about autism from, which I, I, I am autistic, but I cannot speak for every autistic person out there. Um and I just want to preface that for any of your listeners who are autistic themselves, that I do not speak for everybody. I'm just speaking from my perspective. And, and, and regarding the spectrum, a lot of people see the spectrum as like this linear spectrum that ranges from like high functioning or to low functioning or low functioning to high functioning, which is a complete myth. It's, it's not a myth. Um, it's a poor representation of what the spectrum is. In general, in the autistic community, we see the spectrum as more less less of a linear spectrum and more of like a like imagine like a color wheel. So you may have and that how you are functioning, quote unquote, on that day or during that during any moment can vary um, using like that color wheel like image. If you know what I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. it nobody is high functioning or low functioning really. it It's more like, like for me on any given day, I'd probably be considered what people call high functioning because nobody knew I was autistic. I didn't know I was autistic until I was 24 years old. I'm 26 now. Like it, it wasn't even on the radar for anybody. I was just this sort of interesting person. Um, not that you can't be interesting and not as somebody who's not autistic. So yeah, it's, it's really like, it's more like a color wheel than it is like a linear spectrum. Um, Because what happens when people use that whole high functioning, low functioning, you know, language, is that they end up placing people in boxes. Oh, like you're, you can talk and you're really smart in school and you don't say flap your hands or rock back and forth. So you're less autistic than the kid who's sitting in the corner and, you know, banging their head against a wall and who can't talk. And it's like, no, we're all still autistic. Does that make sense? Like, we're, there's no like less autistic or more autistic. It's just autism is autism. It, does. Um, it just presents itself differently in everybody. And, you know, and, and, you know, when people are told that they're high functioning, then often like their struggles, the challenges that they do have are minimized. Or they're seen as like, they're not actually real struggles because, well, you're not banging your head against a wall. And it's like, I know that, but do you know how much effort that I have to put into every single interaction that I have in order to appear less autistic or appear to be neurotypical? It takes a lot. In the community, we, we, we use the word masking to represent like when and if you want to interject at any point, please let me know. I kind of just can tend to go off. Um, I'm happy to but, listen. So we use this term. Thank you. Not many people are, <laughs> but um, we use the term masking. It's sort of like um, we cover up or hide aspects of our autism in order to make other people more comfortable with us. So you can imagine the, the emotional and just general toll that can take on somebody. Yeah, I do it every day. You know, I, I just try to, I'm doing it during this call and it's unconscious. Like I don't even realize it until after the fact that I've used so much of my energy to try to fit what other people are expecting of me and then hiding my my actual, like, like who I am when I'm alone in a room by myself. If that makes any sense at all.
0: It does. So much of what, like the idea of a color wheel very fascinating because if you you know if you've ever messed around with like a photoshop or an app that uses a color wheel i have to do it sometimes to like make show promotions on instagram or whatever and it's such a different way to think about it right it's not a line where it's like this is severe this is not severe it's like oh this is right on the edge of of yellow and green and there's some orange over there and it's about where you're landing on on something different. It's it's a, a much more interesting way to think about it. And then you said that you're even masking with me right now. So does this mean that when you are relaxed and you let your guard down, that you see actual differences in your own personality as far as what you're presenting to the world?
1: Yep. And I'm not I'm not intentional. I'm actually trying to not mask with you right now. But I know that that there is some sort of like subconscious like. Um, cause it's been just ingrained in me my whole life. Um, not like intentionally, like nobody's ever tried to make me be a certain way. It's just sort of like, I, I picked up on it. Um, like how to behave and how to act, which, you know, everybody does. It doesn't matter if, if you're neurotypical, neurodiverse, what, whatever you're, how, however you are, we all, we all do it to an extent. It's just like the, the toll it takes is a lot more, um, from my experience and from, my fellow autistics that I, you know, have connected with over the past couple of years, the, it takes such a big toll on us at the end of the day. So anyways, I actually just kind of forgot your question. Um, wait, you asked. I was just
0: wondering. Like, yeah, can
1: repeat it? it? Sorry.
0: Well, I was just wondering how you'd describe when you say you're a different person at home versus when you're out there dealing with the world. I'm wondering if you could, and it might not be an easy thing to sum up, but what are the differences in who you are in those moments?
1: Sure. Um, well, so I, so one of the things with, with autism is, is, um, and this isn't true for everybody, but eye contact can be a real trouble, like really hard for us. Um, so when I'm out in the world, I have learned to force or fake eye contact with people. It's painful unless like I'm really, really comfortable and close with somebody, like say if it's like a really close friend or like romantic partner, that's the only, those are the only times where I can like really look into somebody's eyes. Um, but in general, I've learned that people expect eye contact. It's a sign of, you know, being polite. So what I do is I look at the bridge of their nose or I kind of look through, not through them, but like past them. And when I'm doing that, it takes a lot of like, like when I'm doing that, I'm actually having a hard time listening to them. So when I'm at home by myself, like, or like with my family, like, I don't need to do that. Like, I don't need to look at them to show that I'm listening. So, and, you know, I, a lot of us do engage in what's called stimming, which is like self stimulatory behavior. It's like a, it's, um, it's like when you think about, you know, the stereotypical autistic child or individual, you know, rocking, hand flapping, maybe waving their hands in front of their face. I don't, I never have stimmed that way. That is still a very valid way to stim, but oftentimes educators try to, you know, suppress that stimming because it makes other people uncomfortable. And it's like, F that. (laughs) Because if it's not harming the person, then it should not be suppressed. That's just part of who they are. But my stims tend to be like, like I will twirl the hair on the back of my neck to the point where, like, I pull it out. And it's not the same as, say, like, um, the condition trichotillomania, where, like, you, you compulsively pull out your hair. It's more like I do it because it soothes me. It calms me. Biting the insides of my cheeks, also something that non-autistic people do. Um, I do that. Yep. It, it's, it, it's, it's a calming thing. It helps me focus. It helps me soothe myself. But, and one of the things that I do, oh, one of my stims when I'm alone is is to like rub like really soft things against my face. Like really like, like I have like um, stuffed animals. Yeah, I'm 26 and I still, I have stuffed animals, no shame. And they're really, really soft. And like, I'll rub them against my face to help me like, to help me regulate, to help me ground myself. It's um like stimming is not exclusive to autism at all, by any means. It's just like the need for it is, I think different, but also I know a lot of people like, I also have like generalized anxiety disorder, depression, OCD. So I know that like an ADHD and I know that like other people with different, you know, conditions and neurotypes also stim. So I don't want to make it like, this is only an autistic thing because that would not be right.
0: (laughs) You know, you brought up the idea of masking. And I really hate that. Mm -hmm. I really hate hearing about that because I was probably in my 30s when I I had, you know, it kind of hit me that there's this idea of normal. And like you said, when we're kids, we're very often trained to be quote unquote normal. You're doing something that's Mm -hmm. making other people uncomfortable. You get trained to stop it by teachers or other adults in your life. And this idea that you have to kind of suppress who you are for the comfort of others I just hate it so much. And I can't think of any group that's been forced to participate in in that where it's fair or healthy, you know, because there's versions Mm -hmm. of that that deal with race, right? With the idea of like, you read about people, quote unquote, passing with people hiding their sexual preferences, sexual identities, gender identities, all of these Mm -hmm. things. And apologies for anything I misphrased along the way, but it's never been healthy, and I've never liked it. And I felt my own versions of it as a kid. And it filled me with a lot of oh, anger. Cool. And if anybody's sitting out there, who out there is feeling normal? Who are these people who are normal? If anybody, if any, if I ever asked anybody to describe yourself and they're like, oh, I'm just kind of a normal person who lives a normal life. I'd go, you're either a liar or you're dreadfully boring. Nobody's normal. So let's stop pretending we all got to no. bend towards normal. What is normal? Normal's garbage
1: exactly and I think it's, it's been it's just been like this like idea of like what is what is and I think that that if we just were more accepting and embracing of like our individual like struggles and differences and you know there'd probably be less need for maybe maybe not but you know people wouldn't be like like you said like feeling like like I don't know I feel like we wouldn't have so many people probably like on medications or Using, you know, harmful substances to, you know, cope with things because they're just trying to, to, in their own ways, like mask and, and be who they think everybody else wants them to be. Like, let's just embrace people as they are. If if we just did that, instead of trying to meet and fit this whole fake idea of normal, probably be a lot fucking happier. Sorry, Sally. Overall not that mental health conditions would not exist. They still would, but it's just like people would feel like less stigmatized and there would be just more acceptance and embracing people for just who they are as they are because we're all different. And there's a reason why we are, you know, I mean, granted it is 2020 is the year from it's, it's the worst year in my opinion, but you know, like we, the world would be a better place. if We were just more accepting of everybody as they are and stop, and stop trying to make people fit into certain molds, basically. I'm with you.
0: And you know, that thought has me thinking. And I want to get the phrasing Mm -hmm. right on this and discover. It's okay if you don't. Well, no, because it's like you think about the idea of diversity, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, my hometown was beautifully diverse. I've, you know... Said on the show a thousand times. I, I lived in Queens, beautifully diverse. And you think about like you send a kid into a classroom. In my opinion, if you get if you raise a child where you go, oh, I can tell right away that person looks different than me. Cool. Mm-hmm. This person loves differently than me. Cool. And right down the line. If we can get people thinking, oh, cool, this is an opportunity. This is enrichment. This is an ability for me to. Learn more about myself by figuring out where our Venn diagrams cross. What would be, you know, I just said looks different, loves different. What would that word be for someone who's autistic? Would it be thinks different? Would it be connects different?
1: Think of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, because there's a variation, and and in, in the autistic community too, you know, um, you know, being autistic is not like exclusively, like, limited to, like, one race or one, you know, gender or, you know, any sort of identity. But anyways, um, so we, we, you can say communicates different. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, there are, like, I communicate, like, I communicate in a way that is pretty, I, 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 I pass as neurotypical. Um, or I should say, allistic, which is somebody who is not autistic, but who may also have, like, another, say, um, neurotype, say, like, like their they're ADHD or they're neurodiverse in some other way. Um, but anyways, so think of, okay, this is, this is one of the things that, like, in in the past couple of years when I've learned about being autistic myself and sort of just embraced it and learned to accept it, um, one of the things that people in the community often say is, like, think of, like, having, like, um, a Windows computer and then, like, A Mac or like Apple's Apple computer right Mm -hmm. so say every most people are operating on like the Mac like iOS or whatever but we're operating on Windows so it's like it's just a different operating system
0: let's go ahead and take a break there that's a stunning analogy we've all seen operating systems evolve and grow over time and we might you remember using those old ones And now they don't, you don't even remember how they made sense. We'll talk about that and more when we get back. Okay, everybody, buckle up. We're finishing the phone call.
1: Most people are operating on like the Mac, like iOS or whatever, but we're operating on Windows. So it's like, it's just a different operating system, but like, we do the same things. It's just like we have access to the same things. It's just like the way that we process them and see, I'm not a tech person, um, but it's just like a different operating system basically is, is how it, how it's made sense to me. Um, or like, do you have like a standard or like an automatic for a car? Like, it's just maybe most people are automatic. but so we we're standards. Like we have to intentionally mm-hmm. shift all these different gears in order to, to do or communicate or share or learn or, you know, just, just exist. Like it, it takes a lot more intentional thought.
0: It's funny. It's, I almost feel like the, the technology would be less Mac to windows and more like, I remember when I was a kid, I'm old enough that I used to mess around with computers and it was MS DOS and you used to have to basically know this language, right? Like C colon backslash backslash input dot exe. Slash, and you'd be like, Yeah. Other people would look at it and go, I don't know how you're getting from point A to point B. But then Mm -hmm. and then you'd have other people who already had Apple products who would do I just click on this thing and the word processor processor opens. I go, No, I gotta type in a whole bunch of stuff you don't understand to get there. But we get to the same place and it seems like there's exactly maybe some validity in that comparison.
1: That's perfect. That's perfect. You actually just explained it better than I did. So thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah that's just because I'm,
0: much... old. I'm older than you.
1: No, you're that's not that old. you're not old. You're not old. <laughs> pretty you're old. what 39? You're not old. 40,
0: 40 midlife, walking 40? midlife crisis. Yeah. Walking, breathing midlife crisis. It's not about me. Let's keep talking about you. Let's keep talking about you.
1: Okay. I feel like I'm like still in like in my quarter life crisis. So mm-hmm. I've, it's kind of been happening for like the past like 10 years, but mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. who knows? I'll get through it eventually. Maybe. (laughs) Who knows? Um, but yeah. Yeah. So, and, and one of the things too, with autism is, you know, like I said, like I I teach, I I work with primarily autistic, um, preschoolers, um, which I mentioned in the first, Mm -hmm. in the first, um, 15 minutes before the generator issue. And that's how I learned I was autistic was through working with them. I mean, I've always felt different. I've always, I've been diagnosed with all these things and, you know, I've been told that I'm too emotional, too sensitive, all this stuff, which is also like, you know, just being a girl, I guess, a lot of the time. But through working with these kids, it's like, like I owe, I feel like I owe it to them for me to have figured out that I myself am autistic and so that I've, I've found my community. And then I've been able to like refine my practice in my, in my teaching. Cause there's a lot of, and this is going to be very controversial. So if you post any of this, like, like if you post this or whatever, there's going to be a lot of comments I know that are going to probably come out and bash me and I'm okay with that. I'll accept that. Um, There's some therapies out there. One particular therapy for autism um, that is super duper, incredibly, I'm putting it lightly problematic. Usually Um, it's, it's, it's provided by allistic, AKA non-autistic, um, folks, and it's the equivalent of human dog training and it's linked to conversion therapy and it's called ABA.
0: Hmm. I see what you mean. There's probably going to be, there's probably going to be people who hear that and go, well, someone in my family went through that and it allows them to function Mm -hmm. day to day a little bit better, but
1: yeah. And and I and I yeah. The thing is it's it it the therapy itself, it's based on a science, you know, but science is not perfect. And it's seen as the highest, like most evidence based treatment for autism. And what bothers me most about it because I worked in it that's, that's how I got into this, like into education as I started as an ABA technician. Um, really? You know, but it, I did. Yeah. Cause I, I didn't know. I thought it was, I thought it was great. You know, I, I started my master's degree in it and then I backed out partway through because I was like, this is so messed up. Some of the stuff that they expect. Um, it, it's basically it, I don't know if you know anything about it, but so I'm just gonna go off on a little tangent again, because that's pretty much what this whole call is. is me just tangenting. That's not a word. Um, but so imagine, all right, just not, I don't want you to, okay, I'm just gonna have to say this. Think about your son, right? So imagine in a couple of years when he's like three, right? He's like one right now, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so imagine he's three years old, okay? And you're sending him to preschool. And you know you he's sitting and and you know 3 year olds have a hard time sitting for a long period of time and say like you know a lot of 3 year olds of all neurotypes they tend to you know wiggle a lot so imagine sitting next to him is another 3 year old who's wiggling a little bit more or who is standing up and walking away from their circle time and following him is an adult who's holding a piece of candy in front of them and saying, do you want this? Go sit down, sit down, quiet, quiet body, calm body, like telling them like you moving the way that you need to is wrong. And then once they sit down and they sit for like 10 seconds, they get a piece of candy, like training them to fit what the, whoever the therapist or technician or behavior analyst wants them to be. It's all like about like manipulating from, and I, I hate using that word because I, I have friends who are BCBAs, which are board certified behavior analysts. They kind of oversee people who practice APA who are great people. Like when I, one of my closest friends is a beast is going to be a BCBA and I love her, but it just makes everything that a child does contingent on pleasing the adult, which can therefore groom children to accept abuse. And ABA, right. in my opinion, is
0: abuse. Yeah, I mean, when you put it like that right away, you're like, if you have if you have some sort of attempt at science that's based around adults giving kids candy for obeying them, yeah, I can see yeah. right there how it's like... I mean, and it's not
1: just candy either. You know, it's there's other things, but it's like it. Sorry, I just wanted to just mention that because I don't want people to think that I, because I know that there are different ways that it's all about reinforcement, and reinforcement is good. Like we need reinforcement, but also ABA typically values external reinforcement, so reinforcement provided by somebody other than um, the individual themselves as if the individual themselves is unmotivated to learn yeah. because we just aren't meeting them the way that helping them learn in the way that they learn best so we expect them to learn the way that we want them to and that's what really irks me
0: well yeah i mean it's immediately concerning when you break it down like that right in two ways which is one mm-hmm. you compared it to conversion therapy which is just torture but it, it it's is connected sh- well it's shared in that thing of hey and to if someone's a real little kid too, a lot of this might be subconscious, which is arguably da- more dangerous. Of like, hey, if you if you can learn to act against your own instincts, you get positive reinforcement for that. Very concerning, mm-hmm. right? Asking someone to suppress their instincts, especially from a young age, is confusing. It might have long term psychological stuff. I would imagine. I don't know. I haven't read up on it.
1: There's there's PTSD. There's there's um a lot of okay. links to adults who have been through it who, who have PTSD from what they went through as a child, but they didn't know at the time because they think, Oh, like you're really nice. And like you, you bring me candy and you bring me these good things. And like, and I don't think that in my heart, and I want to say this to like all your listeners, I don't think that any parent wishes any harm upon their child when they put them into this therapy. I don't. And I don't think that any practitioner goes into it thinking, I can't wait to abuse children. Absolutely not. They likely have the best intentions, but it's also thinking like, what would you, would you be comfortable receiving this type of treatment for yourself or your, or say a different child? You know, I mean, we all, we all rely on, we all, you know, why do I go to work every day? I mean, yeah, of course I go because I love the kids, but also I go to get my paycheck. That is reinforcement. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that is, that is, without a doubt reinforcement but like it's about it it creates a um for most for many many children and so many autistic adults can speak to this I never went through it um creates like causes like that masking and that need to like I need to please everybody else and not put myself first because I am not valuable as I am I am only valuable if other people if I can please other people
0: I uh I do just also want to underline what you said right there about pleasing other people. As soon as you start to connect the dots on that, you're like, okay, you're building a system where kids who aren't always apt at communicating are training, being trained to please adults, which immediately sets off huge red flags of like, oh, predators might be attracted to that environment predators Mm -hmm. might, you know, oh, I get to give kids positive reinforcement for obeying me. And these are kids who are not able to communicate necessarily if something bad happens or they might be terrified to communicate it. That's vulnerable. That's vulnerable members of society. I don't like it. I don't like it. Again, like you said, there's probably people going, here's links to scientific journals that say it's good. And I might read those and go, okay, I'm seeing a different side of it. But when you put that out there, I'm like, yeah, that's bad.
1: That's bad. Well, the thing is, those those journals, they, whenever, a lot of times when, when people, you know, speak out against it, they say, well, like, here's the evidence. And I'm like, I get it. But, like, there's also so much evidence against it. So it's kind of like they just pick and choose what they decide to believe in because it fits the narrative because they don't want to think of themselves as, like, possibly having caused harm to children. And I know for a fact I was an ABA therapist. Like, I... Definitely and I honestly like I'm trying not to cry right now. Um I probably have caused harm to children, not with intent, but upon reflection, I think about it sometimes and I'm like, wow, I this child it could it could um I can't take it back, but I can just continue to grow and move forward and you know, hope that um Ah, uh, sorry.
0: No, of course just I hope hope they that can let it going go forward. move on.
1: Yeah. That going forward, that they feel validated and accepted as they are, because nobody should have to try to be to fit into a certain mold. They should just be allowed to be themselves and be respected as who they are. Um, but what you said about, um, you know, the predator, the predator thing, that's a big thing. You know, especially with 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 children who say struggle with having reliable communication. They um, might not be able to communicate no. Or when they do, and I've seen this with kids who can speak and who are highly verbal, when they do say no, they're told, oh, you can't say no to this. And then they're coerced and into complying with the adult. And their their attempts to say or communicate no, whether it be verbally or them pulling away or running away, are disrespected. And it's it just it's not okay with me.
0: No, no way. And when you bring up my son, which is always, you know, it's always hard. It's always hard. Which I'm
1: to sorry. About. I didn't mean to. No, of course. I was course, just trying to but, get you to think about l- it. But
0: listen, it puts it in a real human perspective that I wouldn't have had two years ago, right? But I'm sitting here and mm-hmm. I'm thinking and it's so hard because let's say anybody out there with a child winds up realizing, okay, my kid is not neurotypical, This is a thing Uh that our family is going to have to figure out how to navigate. And then as you're saying all these things about, you know, basically saying so much effort in in dealing with this is through correcting it, quote unquote. And it's not necessarily Uh a thing that should be corrected in the same way that other, you know, uh, vulnerable or marginalized groups Don't want to be corrected for who they are. And then I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, my instinct, and I bet so many parents' instincts, is I want my kid to learn how to connect other kids. I want my kid to avoid bullying, to avoid judgment. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing this for my kid. And then when you bring up all the issues you bring up and I'm taking a deep breath thinking about Cal, I'm going... Would that really be for Cal, or would that be for me? And that's a really exactly. tough question, right? That's a really hard question mm-hmm. for a parent.
1: I can, yeah, I, I can. I can only imagine. I'm, I'm not a parent, you know. Um, I think what's important is that instead of trying to correct, you know, these these children's quote unquote behaviors or whatever is to is to instead educate. And embrace and you know I'm all about inclusion and meaningful inclusion like like teaching other kids neurotypical kids like about neurodiversity and about how we are all different and it's okay and you know this person might communicate using an iPad this person might communicate using pictures this person might communicate with their words whatever and that it's all valuable and and valid and that that is what ultimately will lead to a more accepting, you know, embracing and inclusive, you know, future Absolutely. for for everybody. And that and that transcends just you know yeah. neurodiversity. That that goes for you know, people like di- people of different backgrounds, like different races and cultures and genders and you know sexual orientations. All of that. Um, but it starts with teaching kids that it's okay to be who you are as you are
0: now i'm going to say something this conversation is fascinating we have about three minutes left i'm going to go ahead and say because of the generator issue that momentum that we're just going to let this one roll a little bit longer i don't know how long but we're going to let it roll
1: okay thank you i appreciate that of course that means a lot actually i feel like i'm like in the history of the show i'm like one of those people who gets to like go on a little longer (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure you do. And I mean, part of that is a tropical storm gifted you that, but part of that is also, there's a really interesting thing with this call, which is that when we were talking, it was uh, very much the standard format of the call where we're feeling each other out and figuring out how the conversation's going to go and you're revealing stuff to me. And then you have two weeks to go, I'm going to get that back and I'm going to sit here and think about what I want to say. And you get to come in with some fire in your guts. And I love that. So I feel like it deserves more time. <laughs> I'm going to say something that might sound trite. I think it's really, really true. I'm going to go ahead and say, and I think any comic book fan would agree with me. I think every kid and probably every adult, especially parents should read X-Men comics. You should go back. You should read some of the ones, not the early ones that were weak with the original five, right after when it became Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, because i am telling you that comic book their whole ethos the whole reason it's so amazing is the the way they got their powers is they were born that way they were born that way uh-huh. and the world fears and judges them and i think there are so many marginalized groups who have found some kid you know kids from those groups who have found comfort in those fucking comic books and I was born, I got this crazy skeletal thing where I have these giant elbows that stick out and my hands don't work right. I'm <laughs> top knuckles. I remember I was in third grade and I found those X-Men comics. And I used to always want to wear long sleeves so kids wouldn't make fun of my elbows. I always felt weird yeah. about kids would go, oh, you walk a little funny. And I read those comics and I remember going, oh, I'm a mutant. I'm like Wolverine. I'm like Nightcrawler, man. Like, oh, and... Over and over again. I remember reading a letters page. I was going back rereading some really old X-Men on the Marvel app that they have. There's a character called Nightcrawler, and he's blue, and he's got three fingers on each hand, three toes on each foot. And I remember reading, you know, they had a device that he could use where he'd walk around looking like quote-unquote normal person when he could go out, and then he just stopped using it. And he would go out and somebody else in the X-Men goes, why aren't you using the thing so we can go to the store and you don't have to have people looking at you, cockeyed. He goes, I'm not going to hide who I am. And this is in I mean, like the 70s or 80s. And I read a letter in a letters page from, if I remember right, it was a girl who said, you know, I've been in a wheelchair my whole life. And Uh reading about a superhero who just said out loud, I'm not going to apologize for being different. I'm not going to apologize. Like people, you know, Nightcrawler had yellow eyes and blue hair. People thought he was a freak. And to read this letter from yeah. a girl going, I feel like a freak. And to see somebody say, I'm proud to be a freak. I'm not going to hide it. X-Men goes a long way. That should be required curriculum in every American school, in my opinion.
1: <laughs> You'd love it. Well, you know, I just, I did just, I, I, I am not that familiar with X-Men, but I, I, um, I did just interview for a middle school teaching position. So like, if I get it, I'll make that part of the requirements for the That's kids that I work with. If help I get it, me.
0: help <laughs> me get through. And they have characters today who are, uh, you know, have have uh, phys- you know characters who are young kid, high school age kids who have physical characteristics that mark them as different. Who have all yep. sorts. Of, they they've always had great analogies for race relations. For I think a lot of people would agree in recent years that there's a huge analogy. To the gay rights movement, to Pride, uh, really beautiful the work they do. Now, I want to ask you a question that I bet you'll have a strong opinion on, and it's a trap i fall fallen sure. into. I'm not going to lie. I feel All like, right, let's do it. well, I feel like a trend that has developed in recent years, and sometimes it's set out of genuine concern, and but sometimes it's unfortunately set out of derision. Is you talk with someone, yeah. and maybe the person comes off in in in. In your view, is a little weird, and then you say to somebody else, "When that person's not around, man, I think they might be on the spectrum." As Mm. we talk, I'm realizing that that might be a hurtful thing to say, and I don't know that I ever realized that. I think people throw that one about, or think it's funny. And I, yeah, they
1: do. I don't know that that's a nice Um, thing
0: as I'm talking to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, because like, I believe it or not, also another stereotype about autism is like, "Oh, you don't have empathy." I have so much empathy, way more empathy than like probably 99% of neurotypicals. Actually, I consider myself an empath because um, I feel things so strongly. So here I go. Notice how my tone's changed? Yeah. So I got feelings. All right. So, um, Autistic people tend to be really good at kind of identifying other autistic people who may not know that they're autistic. Um, with that being said, we're not perfect at that. Um, but also, yeah, it's sort of like, and I'm not, it's not, it's not comparable to, you know, the R word. To be like, oh, I think you're on the spectrum, but it's kind of like the 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 root. Like, what's the cause? Like, what leads you to say that? Just because somebody's a little bit different than you, and, and it, it just kind of creates more of a more stigmatization towards autism and um, stereotyping what it is like to be autistic, you know, or what autism looks like. It's it's inaccurate, and I. I don't like that when people say things like, oh, like, they seem like they're on the spectrum or like, we're all a little bit autistic. It's like, no, that's not how it works. You know, like we're Mm -hmm. not all a little bit autistic because that just takes away from the, the um, like, yeah, like you might be socially awkward. Cool. But that doesn't mean you're autistic. But you also could be. So it's it's more like, I don't know how to really um, expand upon that other than it just like, when people say stuff like that, it's really, um, it, it just, it hits me in a way, but I can't really verbalize fully what I want to say. Well, it's making this,
0: your conversation is making me realize maybe that's, you know, there's a lot of words that used to get tossed around and as society advances, we realize, oh, that's not a thing to just, just say casually. And I'm not even saying in the sense that it's offensive, which it might be, but also more in the sense of, no, you know, that's a serious thing that's a serious thing. And the idea that there's this sort of phrase that's almost like a, you know, like a buzzy thing. Like, it felt like everybody was just saying that, like it was in fashion for a while and it was a, almost a joke. And it's like, you no, know, it's actually a diagnosis and people got to take it seriously. So maybe we've got to think hard yeah. about that. I Exactly.
1: Um, like, I think a lot of um like media portrayal of autism too has contributed to that. Yeah. Um, You know, we have we have shows and movies out there you know, everyone, when they think of like autism, they're like, oh, like Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man, which they never actually said he was autistic in that. They just said he had savant syndrome, which people often attribute to autism, but they actually are separate. Um, but they do also overlap sometimes. And that's very incredibly rare. But then there's like, you know, there's, you know, and I love the show The Good Doctor. That's in, that's one that's out where, um, I don't know if you're familiar, but like Freddie Highmore. He's um, an autistic doctor who also is a savant. Um, and then the show Atypical, where um, I forget the actor's name, but there's the representation of an autistic um, teenager named Sam. And um, just like a lot of the stereotypes that they um, play to in those shows is kind of, I think, contributes to why people say the things that they do. Um, and I think that if they actually had more autistic actors playing these roles mm-hmm. instead of neurotypical actors playing these roles, the, the language and the, the phrases would, the way that people view autism would be different because those roles and like those characters are based on stereotypes.
0: You know, we're going like way the over the
1: autistic th- guy. Of course. Of <laughs> where course where autism and girls is often very different.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense.
1: I could talk about this for days. I didn't even get about I didn't even get to talk about autism and girls and women and you know I didn't even get to have time to talk about that, but it's a big thing.
0: I uh, we are going way over time. I, just, I know we are. <laughs> well, there's a thing. There's two more things I want to talk about. And, and this one I want your opinion on, but I don't even know. I don't even know if you have an opinion, but I, I, I don't want to say too much, but there is someone in my life very close to me who I grew up with who yep. had massive trouble connecting with other kids mm-hmm. and got progressively more and more viewed as like, a weird kid and you could see the effects, you could see bullying, you could see Uh that inability to connect, creating like wariness and therefore loneliness. And I've I've wondered for a while, I wonder if this person was undiagnosed and on some level autistic, Uh because I also think, man, that person was brilliant from day one, like really, really brilliant. And I always think, man, if they weren't in like the public schools in my working class neighborhood, if they got sent to some private school that, that knew how to harness that brilliance and where maybe the other kids wouldn't have judged so hard. Yeah. It would have been a whole different life. But who's to know? It's like an armchair diagnosis, which I don't think is healthy. But yeah, I wonder if you see that yeah. with kids. You teach kids, and I wonder if you're sitting there going, oh. "This kid's brilliant." Put them in an environment where that's the focus.
1: Hmm. I I do I do sometimes. Um. I mean I'm I'm all about like I love the public school system. Like the the ideas that we have about like you know like I mentioned earlier about promoting and teaching kids to value and embrace differences in 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 others and i think that that is something that has just been not at least when i was in school um and i still see it it's not really valued diversity um but i do know that a lot of people who are autistic because i'm in like a lot of like online forums and stuff and like facebook groups for autistic people um that they say that their autistic children have actually thrived better in in you know school's that can support them yeah. in their and their uniqueness, you know, their differences and stuff. And um honestly, I connect best with other autistic people. That's and other neurodiverse people. I I one of my a really close friend of mine who I've never actually met in person, um she's going to listen there. they are going to listen to this podcast. Sorry, pronoun. Pronoun. Had to remind myself.
0: I do it They're
1: going to listen to this podcast. I know I do it all the time. I just want to correct myself so that when they listen to this, they know Um, they live in California and I met them on like a Facebook group online, like an autistic, like led Facebook group online. And I was texting them right before this podcast to let them know that I was doing it. Um, I hope that's okay. But I'm um, I'm not identifying myself. So, but I connect better with other people who, who can kind of see me and understand me in, in that, in that way. Other neurodiverse people. Not that neurotypical people can't. It's just, it's just. There's like, like when I see the kids I work with, I'm like, I see you, I get you, and you get me. It's, it's just this sort of innate connection. And so maybe that child or that that kid or that man now, I'm, you know, um, maybe he would have been better in that type of environment.
0: I uh, we got to wrap it up. This one's going long, but I, I We do. Say,
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no
0: apologies. I want to say uh one thing though, just so you hear it, which is that, you know, you sure. ex- you expressed some guilt about having participated in a form of therapy that you didn't know was as damaging as it was. And this was even before you realized that this was actually, you know, there's that phrase, find your tribe. Like these were your people. And uh mm-hmm. I just wanna say that uh everything you've shared today, a lot of people are going to hear it. And I think it's going to do a world of good. And it sounds to me like you do not plan on quieting down that as you, you know, embrace more and more who you are and having these conversations, like I said, I can hear the fire in your gut to really dispel myths, to correct longstanding stereotypes. And Mm
1: -hmm. I
0: just want you to know that, it's, it already sounds like you're intent on doing more good than that therapy did harm. And, uh, and I hope you don't, I hope, I hope you can let that side of it go because this was a really fascinating, eye opening conversation that affected me in a positive way. And I bet a lot of listeners are going, I'm thinking entirely different about something I've known about my whole life. So I thank you for
1: it. Well, thank you for having me. That's, like I said, I could have talked about this for hours, but, um, if if one person can gain something from this, then you know I I I'll feel good about it. You know, and yeah. yeah well, you already got one. You already got
0: one, and I bet you're about <laughs> yeah, to get exactly. a lot more. Thank All you right. so
1: much, Chris. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. All right, take care.
0: Call it. You kept saying that you could have talked for hours about this, and I could have too, and I thank you for that. My gears are turning. I feel like I know a little bit more about the world, a little bit more about how I have to learn to treat people, and I thank you for that because that's part of growing and that's part of being a well-rounded human being. And for those of us who who don't know how to be revolutionaries, I think that is how we get to sort of make these small steps that might help the world be a better place. Thank you for that. Thank you to Jared O'Connell, Anita Flores, thank you to Shag for the music, chrisgeth.com if you want tickets to my shows. Remember, I got some shows in Philly, September 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Follow us on Spotify, follow us on Stitcher, follow us on Apple. If you want to check out the back catalog of the show, stitchpremium.com slash stories. All the details are there. Thanks so much for listening.